0: Hello, everyone, and how are you? I hope you're all having a fine evening. Hello. And the question is, as it always tends to be, what have y'all been up to? Swansong, Jade Dragon, Wildcar, Dahlia, hey! How y'all doing? Welcome back to the Giggle Pit. How's everybody doing this evening? It's very nice to have you all here. Uh, it's gonna be a, a good fun ride. Actually, you know what? You know who would definitely be, like, the the MC of this club? Hey, come on in, everybody. It's been great to have you so far, and it's going to be great to have you for many nights to come. I hope you're all having a great one. Make sure you have at least two of the chocolate milkshakes, because they're just so darn good. (laughs) What do we think? Hey, gang, what have you been up to? Jade, Moose, Big Mama, I see Orly Rose, I see Luis, I see Dahlia, I see Muffin Man. Hello! Hello! How are you? (laughs) Welcome back, gang. Hey, folks. I hope you're having a great week. Um, I just got uh, the entirety of book, let's see, book three is now up on Spotify, which means I am so close i'm so close to being caught up on the flying sidecar business and then we're going to launch in i'm going to i'm going to get the uh the vintage sidecar stuff up there and then i'm finally going to feel like i'm going to feel kind of recovered you know what i mean this it's taken a toll i'm not going to lie to you all it's taken a bit of a toll um the, the 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 youtube thing like i don't know i'm just realizing uh you know over time like i'm i'm not reaching new folks in the same way and it's okay like i i i kind of recognize you know this is this is something i do as a as a hobby or i guess all right now i i hope everyone has like your own special anti-gagging techniques because i'm about to say some of that gross gross stuff but a side hustle as it were (coughs) but Uh, no, the, I mean, the YouTube stuff is a shot in the pants, and so, uh, I'm, I'm building some of this, this new skill set stuff, but, I don't know, last night, last night I was doing some editing, it was just a little tough, I don't know, it's, um, it's hard to look at this, and, of course, like, with all the, the growth that we have had, to watch the growth just sort of, like, level out, um, I don't know, it feels like, it feels like I need, like... I need a new big thing. I don't know what it is, necessarily. Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously the Harry Potter series was a, a huge draw, and I'm really happy that I did that, but, uh, you know, I, I don't be surprised if there's some sort of shake-ups on the horizon, because, uh, you know, I'm just sort of thinking about what the next moves are going to be here. You know? What are the next moves with Sidecar Stories? Louise says, I think it's just the year, Sam. Uh, when there's a thing like the YouTube, it's strange to recover from. Yeah, not only that, but like, you know, I have been um, in, in terms of like socializing. I for a long time was the most social person that I know, and now I'm like, like I've got I've got one group that I hang out with, um, but it's very uh, it's very metered, and I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know how y'all feel about this. Uh, some of my extroverts out there. I don't know if there are a lot of you. I'm imagining this 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 sort of concept here really attracts introverts for the most part but uh any of my extroverts out there uh, for me having everything so set in stone and so metered and so um consistent is actually sort of like it's not altogether a positive thing for me um so you know pre-pandemic when i was doing a lot more sort of socializing which i mean even then it was sort of starting to level off just because of life obligations and stuff i don't know all this to say like I've got a group of friends that I I am very thankful for, but I'm not meeting anybody new. Did any of y'all get that? Again, like I think I'm probably hanging out with a lot of introverts here, which I was for like a a large part of my life, and then I just sort of switched gears. Couldn't tell you why necessarily, but uh, I'm still I'm still an extrovert, but now I'm an extrovert that like. I don't know it it was it was definitely great to be able to be in person with folks again that that helped. But I don't know. Do any of y'all get the same way? Like, I just want to meet people. I just want to meet random people. I just want to, I want to get to know more folks I want to do. I mean, it's not even networking. Like I don't I don't even need to meet these people a second time. I just like to have I just like to 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 meet and encounter new people and it's not a it's not a slight on the people that I really enjoy spending time with right now, but you know it's just like I I need more more diversity just for this for its own sake. It's not even I'm trying to meet like a new group of people or anything. It's just that I like I like something a little bit more random. I like more happenstance. I like I like to I like to encounter folks that aren't already from my circle and you know I was doing a lot more lift rides pre pre uh, pandemic and a lot more um I don't know I was meeting with folks I, I had like you know meetings for different projects and stuff and a lot of that stuff is 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 very quiet now and it's just like oh man just looking around like there's all these people out here I know the people are still there I know they still are but I don't see them I don't know where they're at <laughs> How do I find these people? Hey, where do, pe- where do people at? That's what I want to know. Swan Song says, you guys are only uh, the only in- uh, introverts. I want to be extroverted, too. <laughs> no problem, Swan Song. You and me. Uh, Rose says, I'm an introvert through and through. My circle has shrunk this last year. Random gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Molly Wobble says, relate. 100% relate. Uh, we just came out of a three month lockdown and stuck in the house with <laughs> with the other Molly wobbles. <laughs> yeah, how's that been? Are y'all are y'all driving each other nuts yet? Oh yo yo. So yeah, it's 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 weird and wonky and wild. Hold on. Uh oh, gotta make sure my mouse settings are correct. What are y'all up to today? What did everybody get accomplished? this morning if anything because i mean it's a thursday who knows like what are you getting accomplished on a thursday <laughs> Dahlia's is uh, completely nuts says molly wobbles well good luck good luck to you both uh i wish you many <laughs> many happy and quiet moments together uh where you can just sort of enjoy each other's company and not be totally nuts Uh, Dahlia says, I've been learning to become an ambivert, but can somewhat relate, I gotcha, I gotcha. Luis got the kitchen cleaned, excellent. That's no small endeavor, not at all. (laughs) It's Friday here and I thought it was Saturday, I was late for work. Ooh, ro-ro Molly, Uh, that's right, yeah, you're an Aussie, aren't you? Aren't you Molly Wobbles? Okay, hey folks, I got a question for you. Is it time to get into it yet you think? Do you think it's about time yet? I feel like we got to talk a little bit of um, a little bit of review of course. Uh, We definitely have to talk a little bit of um, uh, I don't know a little bit of like what we should be on the lookout for for this next book here because this book right here is the last one of this series. We've talked a lot about it before. We do indeed have more series in the same universe but this is the last book of this series where we follow exclusively Percy um, and follow this one particular storyline um, we've been with this for a minute haven't we you know what I'm saying like we we have been uh, we've been doing this uh, this series for about a year now uh, and for Percy I believe the the journey has been roughly... Hmm, it's been a few years, I think. Essentially, I, I, I get the sense that it kind of uh, has been maybe about four years. It's been almost one per book, but it's not quite as precise as the Harry Potter books. Um, yeah, we rolled through it pretty quickly, Luis. Uh, and I mean, I will say part of that is that uh, the Harry Potter series is, I think I've mentioned this before, but it's over a million words. This one is only about 300,000, three, three or 400,000. So dramatically less than half. Um... Uh, three, three tenths, in fact, or four tenths, I think. To be fair, um, I've got the number right here. Why don't I just look at it? It's literally I've got the page opened up already. Um, total word count. Uh, oh, sorry, just short of four. So four out of ten, the length of uh, the length of Harry Potter, f- about forty percent the length. Um, but yeah, it is. It is a. Uh, it, it was a quick ride. It's been a quick ride. And I think we're going to be done within a year, you know, like within a, a calendar year of having begun it, uh, or not a calendar year, but, uh, we, we started at the end of January, beginning of February of this year, I believe. Um, and I think we're going to finish it up at just about the same time, because if I've counted out correctly, um, we're going to get nine streams out of this book. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ooh, maybe just eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight streams out of this book, if everything goes correctly. Uh, eight streams out of this book. That's about two months. Um, now, of course, things are going to get going to get wonky uh, with some of the holidays in there. But I think we're going to finish this almost exactly a year after we started. So that's interesting. Uh, you know, having having knocked this this whole series out in a year, not too bad. Of course, if I were reading solo, it would have gone <laughs> it would have gone a bit quicker because I tend to obsess. Uh, I, I, this is definitely, that's definitely a holdover that I have from my introvert days is, um, when I, when I get into some reading, uh, I've mentioned this before, I read all the Harry Potter books in eight days, I, uh, I read all of Dune on our road trip, um, you know, like three days across, you know, from California to the Midwest, um, I just tend to, like, launch in and stay in as much as I possibly can. Uh, Which I enjoy, because it helps me to sort of keep track of all the threads, and uh, (laughs) it helps me to really sort of immerse myself. The only bad part is then I don't get to spend nearly as much time there. So, there's that. Tenasia says, Thanksgiving will probably not be a stream, and not near Christmas either, right? Um, I want to do... I I know my regular stream schedule is not going to be the same over Christmas. um, Over the the week of Christmas, essentially. Christmas slash New Year. Um... Um, let's see, but I think at the same time, um, okay, so Christmas is on a Saturday this year, as is New Year's, um, and so I'm guessing, like, the week leading up, I don't have, I don't have the plans exactly, uh, Tenacia, I will say, um, for Thanksgiving, uh, I am not going to be streaming much during that week, uh, I know I will not be streaming on the Thursday of Thanksgiving, um, uh, that, let's see, that's the 23rd nope, I'm in September, October, November hold on, hold on hold on yeah, so that Thursday the 25th, it's just after Thanksgiving I don't think no no, I will not be streaming on the 25th so not the day after Thanksgiving, because I'm going to be out of town um so yeah, I would say that, that week of Thanksgiving and the week of Christmas, I will probably be sort of out of commission, um I'm going to try and do something for Christmas. Um, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I want to do some fun Christmassy thing, I think. Uh, But it won't be a regular streaming schedule, if that helps you out, Tenacia. Cool. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. All right. Hey, folks. um, I hope you have enjoyed our reading so far. Just a quick reminder. My name is Sam and this is Sidecar Stories. Uh, This is a Thursday, which means that this is Flying Sidecar, but of course, I stream Tuesdays through Thursdays through my regular week. On Tuesdays, we have got Vintage Sidecar, where we shed some light on Classic Lit. We just finished up Murder on the Orient Express. Right now, we are doing some pickups from some lost recordings. Uh, I think I've just got one more. Uh, Like, for the whole channel, I've just got one more. Uh, I need to read the last chapter of Frankenstein. That's going to be happening this week. And then uh, next Tuesday, I I should say, so this coming Tuesday, we're going to be doing um, uh, that pickup. The Tuesday following that, because it's right before Thanksgiving week and I'm not going to stream that week, I decided instead of starting a, a new book, which is going to be Alice in Wonderland... I announced that on Tuesday Uh, some of y'all might have seen that on on my socials but hey folks Alice in Wonderland coming on Tuesdays if you're interested go to discord make sure you select uh, the vintage sidecar tag over in the tags channel so you can stay up to date on that Um, roll it hello welcome back Um, uh, so that's on Tuesdays but uh, we're just gonna have a a fun week before Christmas um, essentially so this coming Tuesday Frankenstein the Tuesday. After that, we're going to take a, it's going to be a patron vote, and so we're just going to decide on some fun thing to do on a Tuesday, uh, and then we are going to be starting, um, uh, we're going to be starting Alice in Wonderland, um, on the 30th of November. The last day of November. November 30th, Alice in Wonderland, that's Tuesdays. Cool. On Wednesdays, we are doing our world building, and y'all, if you have not gone to check out the map that we just put together for Um, the little town of Reliance. We've got our big city map, and we're continuing to work on that. It still looks just dog ugly, but um, we are continuing to work on some other things as well. We're sort of bouncing around between different topics. That looks incredible. So on Wednesdays, Side Cannons, our tabletop RPG wing of sidecar stories. And uh, I'm really excited for the stories that we're going to tell over there um, on Wednesdays. On Thursdays, of course, you know what it is. Flying sidecar, voice actors venture through some stories that we all love. Hey, everybody, thank you for being here. Um, And don't forget, uh, we're going to be holding that vote very soon for our next series here. Um, We have got the suggestion channel open, however. So if you would like to go to the Discord, um, honestly, you might want to do it now while we're doing the review. Otherwise, it's very possible you'll forget. Head to the uh, Flying Suggestion box. It's in the flying sidecar category over in Discord, um, uh, near the Percy Jackson channel, etc. Make sure you've got your suggestions in, because I'm going to take all those suggestions and distill them down to the ones that I think are going to work really well, and then we're going to hold a vote over there. And I would say we're probably going to start that vote next week, so get ready for that. Okay. Let's talk a little review, shall we? And for whatever reason, my links didn't pop up. Hello? Excuse me? I mean, it's... It's just this right here. Um, I gotta wonder. I I had some stuff update here. Although it shouldn't have affected Twitch. I don't know why it's not popping in my links. But what are you gonna do? Uh, So, review. Everybody. This series has been going, like I said, for a few years of Percy Jackson's life. And Percy Jackson is... The son of a god. Well, one god and one mortal parent. Uh, His mother met Poseidon, and Poseidon had a child with her, and that child is Percy Jackson. He doesn't find out until uh, he is sort of like middle school age-ish that he is indeed a, not just a a half god uh, child, but also that brings with it some interesting complications, A demigod uh, is sort of destined to become a hero after a fashion. Um, He goes to a camp called Camp Half-Blood that is sort of designated for people like him. It's run by Dionysus uh, and Chiron, these figures from ancient uh, 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 Greek mythology. And between the two of them, they try to train heroes uh, they they have got staff f- uh, from satyrs to Argus the many eyed security guard and they do their best to try and train up these heroes which is a tough job because heroes have a lot on their plates for instance, the very first year that Percy learns he's a demigod at all he gets claimed by Poseidon which is something that no- doesn't happen for every demigod uh, some of them live quite a bit of their lives without ever being claimed by their godly parent. Percy gets claimed by Poseidon but not for great reasons. It turns out Zeus's uh lightning bolt gets stolen and Percy has to take a cross-country trek to enter the realm of Hades to retrieve it. He's sort of been framed and it turns out that this is the this is the beginning of a a, a long scheme by one of the titans, Kronos. kind of the big bad titan, you know, got chopped up and thrown into Tartarus big bad, uh, back during the first Titan and God War, this happened, and now, in the modern day, Kronos is trying to make a comeback, he, um, by way of turning the hearts, you know, through people's dreams, he can sort of, he, he tries to turn people's hearts against the gods, um, and manages to do so to someone named Luke, over the next few books, we follow, uh, Luke and, uh, his friend Annabeth, a very analytical daughter of Athena, um, and uh, Tyson, who is actually Percy's half brother, uh, Tyson is a um, uh, a cyclops, also also a, a child of Poseidon. Um, and uh, we we follow these characters along with these relatively newly introduced Rachel Elizabeth Dare, who is just a mortal, but for whatever reason can see through the mist that sort of enshrouds all things of myth that keeps it hidden from the mortal from mortal eyes. We follow these adventurers um, as they proceed through different elements of ancient Greek myth. Um, in the most recent... Uh, they, they, they begin, of course, with the lightning bolt. Then they travel the sea of monsters to retrieve the golden fleece. Um, after that, they uh, they have to fight with the, the titan Atlas. Uh, some of y'all may know Atlas as the one who holds up the sky. And now, uh, in our last book... Book four, uh, they have traversed the the labyrinth, the ancient labyrinth of Daedalus, and uh, through all of this, they've sort of picked up a new first friend, then enemy, now friend again. Nico D'Angelo, a son of uh, of Hades, who tends to hold grudges. He is he's decided not to stay at camp, but he sort of lives out in the world, sort of doing his own thing, forging his own solitary path. Um, And uh, although Percy wishes he could come in from the cold, Percy recognizes why that can't really be the case. Hades just isn't quite welcome in the same way that the other gods are. Not that they get along particularly well. And uh, that is sort of the the plot summary, and I just want to make mention really quickly that um, one of the big undercurrents of all of this is the mistreatment by the gods these demigod children um a lot of them have very reasonable gripes against their godly parents the godly parents don't tend to be very good parents at all uh many demigods are simply abandoned flat out uh lots of them will spend a lot of time sort of unclaimed unsure why they're being attacked or why their lives just seem to be very very strange and confusing um and uh, not only that, but th- that's sort of on the lighter end. On the heavier end, uh, the gods are sort of actively selfish, I would say. Evil can sometimes be the right word, certainly, but I think the thing that most commonly encompasses what, why the gods are having trouble in this sort of uh, um, th- this this war of PR, why is it some of these half-bloods would go over and uh, decide to join the... The, the Titans, instead of sticking with the gods, the gods really can be very, very selfish. So it has it has worked. The Titans have been able to draw over some of these demigods. Um, Ethan Nakamura is one of the most recent ones, but of course Luke was kind of the, the big first one. Uh, and, you know, after being friends with Percy uh, for his first year, now Luke is the new body that Kronos has come back into. Kronos is back, using Luke's body as his sort of vessel. And that's round about where we're at. I should mention that um, when we last left off, the very end of uh, the last chapter, um, Poseidon came to Percy and sort of expressed like, hey, we're, we're kind of getting kicked off here. It's, it's about to really go down. And finally, Nico shows up from uh, wherever he's been and mentions to Percy, I've got a plan. It's pretty desperate, but it truly might be the last option that we have. We don't know what the we as the as the readers don't know what the plan is yet. But there's only one way to find out, is there not, folks? Are you ready to read this sucker? Tenacia, Luis, Sparkle Love Good, Roll It, Moonlight, Moon, Moonlight. Yeah, okay. Um, y'all, I hope you're ready. I hope you're excited. Holy. Crap! You're so early. What are you doing home? Hello. I have my
1: midterm. I'm just letting you know I probably won't be able
0: to do games, So. Gotcha. Okay. Um, is there like a video component? Is this gonna be? Okay. All right. Let me know if you need more bandwidth because I I can. I'm pretty sure test. Okay. Cool. All right. Bye. Hey. Good luck. You'll do a great job. I promise. All right. Hey, y'all ready? Cass, chat says good luck. She says thanks. (laughs) All right. Let's read some book today. What? That can't possibly be the catchphrase. Let's read some book today. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Let's read some book today. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Book 5. The Last Olympian. Chapter 1. I Go Cruising with Explosives. The end of the world started when a Pegasus landed on the roof of my car. Up until then, I was having a great afternoon. Technically, I wasn't supposed to be driving, because I wouldn't turn 16 for another week... But my mom and my stepdad, Paul, took my friend Rachel and me to this private stretch of beach on the South Shore, and Paul let us borrow his Prius for a short spin. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, that was really irresponsible of him, blah, 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 but Paul knows me pretty well. He's seen me slice up demons and leap out of exploding school buildings, so he probably figured taking a car a few hundred yards wasn't exactly the most dangerous thing I'd ever done. Anyway, Rachel and I were driving along. It was a hot August day. Rachel's red hair was pulled back in a ponytail, and she wore a white blouse over her swimsuit. I'd never seen her in anything but ratty t-shirts and paint-splattered jeans before, and she looked like a million golden drachmas. Oh, pull up right here, she told me. We parked on a ridge overlooking the Atlantic. The sea is always one of my favorite places, but today it was especially nice. Glittery green and smooth as glass. As though my dad was keeping it clean. As though my dad was keeping it calm just for us. My dad, by the way, is Poseidon. He can do stuff like that. So? Rachel smiled at me. About that invitation... Oh, uh, right. I tried to sound excited. I mean, she'd asked me to her family's vacation house on St. Thomas for three days... I didn't get a lot of offers like that. My family's idea of a fancy vacation was a weekend in a run-down cabin on Long Island with some movie rentals and a couple of frozen pizzas. And here, Rachel's folks were willing to let me tag along to the Caribbean. Besides, I seriously needed a vacation. This summer had been the hardest of my life. The idea of taking a break, even for a few days, was really tempting. Still, Something big was supposed to go down any day now. I was on call for a mission. Even worse, next week was my birthday. There was this prophecy that said when I turned 16, bad things would happen. Percy, she said, I know the timing's bad, but it's always bad for you, right? She had a point. I really want to go, I promised. It's just... the war? I nodded. I didn't like talking about it, but Rachel knew. Unlike most mortals, she could see through the mist, the magic veil that distorts human vision. She'd seen monsters. She'd met some of the other demigods who were fighting the Titans and their allies. She'd even been there last summer, when the chopped-up Lord Kronos rose out of his coffin in a terrible new form, and she'd earned my permanent respect by nailing him in the eye with a blue plastic hairbrush. She put her hand on my arm. Just think about it, okay? We don't leave for a couple of days. My dad... Her voice faltered. Has he given you a hard time? I asked. Rachel shook her head in disgust. He's trying to be nice to me, which is almost worse. He wants me to go to the Clarion Ladies Academy in the fall. That's just school where your mom went? It's a stupid finishing school for society girls, all the way in New Hampshire. Can you see me in finishing school? I admitted the idea sounded pretty dumb. Rachel was into urban art projects and feeding the homeless and going to protest rallies to save the endangered yellow-bellied sapsucker and stuff like that. I'd never even seen her wear a dress. It was hard to imagine her learning to be a socialite. She sighed. He thinks if he does a bunch of nice stuff for me, I'll feel guilty and give in. Which is why he agreed to let me come with you guys on vacation. Yes, but Percy, you'd be doing me a huge favor. It would be so much better if you were with us. Besides, there's something I want to talk... She stopped abruptly. Something you want to talk about? I asked. You mean... So serious that we'd have to go to St. Thomas to talk about it? She pursed her lips. Look, just forget it for now. Let's pretend we're a normal couple. We'll go out for a drive and we're watching the ocean. Oh. We're out for a drive and we're watching the ocean and it's nice to be together. I could tell something was bothering her. But she put on a brave face. The sunlight made her hair look like fire. We'd spent a lot of time together this summer. I hadn't exactly planned it that way, but the more serious things got at camp, the more I found myself needing to call up Rachel and get away. Just for some breathing room. I needed to remind myself that the mortal world was still out there, away from all the monsters using me as their personal punching bag. Okay, I said. Just a normal afternoon, and two normal people. She nodded. And so, hypothetically, if these two people liked each other, what would it take to get the stupid guy to kiss the girl, huh? Oh, I felt like one of Apollo's sacred cows. Slow, dumb, and bright red. Um... I can't pretend I hadn't thought about Rachel. She was so much easier to be around than, well, some other girls I knew. I didn't have to work hard or watch what I said or rack my brain to try and figure out what she was thinking. Rachel didn't hide much. She'd let you know how she felt. I'm not sure what I would have done next, but I was distracted. I didn't notice the black form swooping down from the sky until four hooves landed on the hood of the Prius with a... Hey, boss! A voice said in my head, A nice car. Black Jack the Pegasus was an old friend of mine, so I tried not to get too annoyed by the craters he'd put in the hood. But I didn't think my stepdad would be real stoked. Black Jack, I sighed, what are you... Then I saw who was riding his back. And I knew my day was about to get a lot more complicated. Hey, what is up, Percy? Charles Beckendorf. Senior counselor for the Hephaestus cabin would make most monsters cry for their mommies. He was huge, with ripped muscles from working with the forges every summer, two years older than me, and one of the camp's best armorsmiths. He'd made some seriously ingenious mechanical stuff. A month before, he'd rigged a Greek firebomb in the bathroom of a tour bus that was carrying a bunch of monsters across the country. The explosion took out a whole legion of Kronos' evil meanies as soon as the first harpy went flush. Beckendorf was dressed for combat. He wore a bronze breastplate with a war helm and black camo pants, and a sword strapped to his side. His explosives bags was hung his explosives bag was hung over his shoulder. Is it time? I asked. He nodded grimly. A clump formed in my throat. I'd known this was coming. We'd been planning it for weeks, but I'd half hoped it would never happen. Rachel looked up at Beckendorf. Hi. Oh, hey, I'm Beckendorf. You must be Rachel. Percy told me, um, uh, he, he mentioned you. Rachel raised an eyebrow. Really? Good. She glanced at Blackjack, who was clopping his hooves against the hood of the Prius. So, I guess you guys are off to save the world now. Mm, pretty much, Beckendorf agreed. I looked at Rachel helplessly. Would you tell my mom that... I'll tell her. I'm sure she's used to it. And I'll explain to Paul about the hood. I nodded my thanks. I figured this might be the last time Paul loaned me his car. Good luck. Rachel kissed me before I could even react. Now get going, half-blood. Go kill some monsters for me. My last view of her was sitting in the shotgun seat of the Prius, her arms crossed, watching his black jack circled higher and higher, carrying Beckendorf and me into the sky. I wondered what Rachel wanted to talk to me about, and whether I'd live long enough to find out. So, Beckendorf said, I'm guessing that you don't want me to mention that little scene to Annabeth. Oh, God, I muttered. Don't even think about it. Beckendorf chuckled and together we soared out over the Atlantic also I want to say hello and welcome to the kid 64 how you doing I feel like I've seen that name before a long time ago but I definitely don't recognize your avatar so hey how's it going thanks for listening And anybody new joining us, hi, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. We're reading Percy Jackson. Hold on. Hold on a second. Why am I getting, I feel like I'm getting some feed in here. Where's my, why is my sniff button not working? Which it's technically a cough button or a sneeze button, but uh, for me, it's definitely a sniff button. Let me just make sure I've got my yep, okay, here we go, cool cool, cool, cool cool. I gotta switch out my uh, switch out my mic real quick here. Excellent. all right, we're back, baby. Let's go. It was almost dark by the time we spotted our target. The Princess Andromeda glowed on the horizon. A huge cruise ship lit up yellow and white. From a distance, you'd think it was just a party ship, not the headquarters for the Titan Lord. Then as you got closer, you might notice the giant figurehead. A giant... Mm, what? <laughs> then as you got closer, you might notice the giant figurehead. A dark-haired maiden in a Greek Keton, wrapped in chains with a look of horror on her face as if she could smell the stench of all the monsters she was being forced to carry. Seeing the ship again twisted my gut into knots. I'd almost died twice on the Princess Andromeda, and now it was heading straight for New York. "'Do you know what to do?' Beckendorf yelled over the wind. I nodded. "'We'd done dry runs at the dockyards in New Jersey, using abandoned ships as our targets.' I knew how little time we would have, but I also knew this was our best chance to end Kronos' invasion before it started. Blackjack, I said, set it down on the lowest stern deck. Got you, boss, he said. Man, I hate seeing that boat. Three years ago, Blackjack had been enslaved on the Princess Andromeda until he'd escaped with a little help from my friends and me. I figured he'd rather have his mane braided like my little pony than be back here again. Don't wait for us, I told him. But, boss, trust me, I said. We'll get out by ourselves. Blackjack folded his wings and plummeted toward the boat like a black comet. The wind whistled in my ears. I saw monsters patrolling the upper decks of the ship. Dracane, snake women, hellhounds, giants, and humanoid seal demons known as telekines. But we zipped by so fast none of them raised the alarm. We shot down the stern end of the boat, and Black Jack spread his ends. <laughs> we shot down the stern of the boat, and Black Jack spread his wings, lightly coming to a landing on the lowest deck. I climbed off, feeling uneasy. Good luck, boss, Jack said. Don't let him turn you into horse meat. With that? My old friend flew off into the night. I took my pen out of my pocket and uncapped it, and Riptide sprang to full size, three feet of deadly celestial bronze glowing in the dusk. Beckendorf pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket. I thought it was a map or something, and then I realized it was a photograph. He stared at it in the dim light, the smiling face of Selena Beauregard, daughter of Aphrodite. It started going out last summer after years of the rest of us saying, "'Duh, you guys like each other!' Even with all the dangerous missions, Beckendorf had been happier this summer than I'd ever seen him. "'We'll make it back to camp,' I promised. For a second, I saw worry in his eyes. Then he put on his old, confident smile. "'You bet,' he said. "'Let's go blow Kronos into a million pieces!' Beckendorf led the way. We followed a narrow corridor to the service stairwell, just like we'd practiced, but we froze when we heard voices above us. Oh, I can't just... <laughs> I didn't give myself the notation. I didn't know it was coming up. Hold on. Uh, I think it's this one. Is that right? Yep, that's the one. Okay, cool. <laughs> Beckendorf led the way. We followed a narrow corridor to the service stairwell, just like we practiced, but we froze when we heard noises above us.
1: I don't care what your nose says,
0: snarled a half-human, half-dog voice, a telekine.
1: The last time that you smelled a half-blown, it turned out to be a meatloaf sandwich.
0: Meatloaf sandwiches are good, a second voice snarled. Mm,
1: but this half-blood scent, I swear, they're on board. Yeah, your brain isn't on board.
0: They continued to argue, and Beckendorf pointed downstairs. We descended as quietly as we could. Two floors down, the voices of the telekines started to fade. Finally, we came to a metal hatch. Beckendorf mouthed the words, Engine Room. It was locked, but Beckendorf pulled out some chain cutters from his bag and split the bolt like it was made of butter. Inside, a row of yellow turbines the size of grain silos churned and hummed. Pressure gauges and computer terminals lined the opposite wall. A telekin was hunched over a console, but he was so involved with his work he didn't notice us. He was about five feet tall, with slick black seal fur and stubby little feet. He had the head of a Doberman, but his clawed hands were almost human. He growled and muttered as he tapped on his keyboard. Maybe he was messaging his friends on UglyFace.com. I stepped forward, and he tensed, probably smelling something was wrong. He leapt sideways toward a big red alarm button, but I blocked his path. He hissed and lunged at me. But one slice of Riptide, and he exploded into dust. One down, Beckendorf said. "'About five thousand to go!' "'He tossed me a jar of thick green liquid. "'Greek fire. "'One of the most dangerous magical substances in the world. "'Then he threw me another essential tool of demigod heroes. "'Duct tape. Slap that one on the console!' he said. "'I'll get the turbines.' "'We went to work. "'The room was hot and humid, and in no time we were drenched in sweat. "'The boat kept chucking along.' Being the son of Poseidon and all, I have perfect bearings at sea. Don't ask me how, but I knew we were at 40.19 degrees north, 71.90 degrees west, making 18 knots, which meant the ship would arrive in New York Harbor by dawn. This would be our only way to make it. This would be our only chance to stop it. I I wasn't even close with that one. I had just attached a second jar of Greek fire to the control panels when I heard the pounding feet on metal steps. So many creatures coming down the stairwell, I could hear them over the engines. Not a good sign. I locked eyes with Beckendorf. How much longer? Too long. He tapped his watch, which was our remote-controlled detonator. I still have to wire the receiver, and the primary charges ten more minutes at least. Judging from the sound of the footsteps, we had about ten seconds. I'll distract him, I said. I'll meet you at the rendezvous point. Percy. Wish me luck. He looked like he wanted to argue. The whole idea had been to get in and get out without being spotted. But we were going to have to improvise. Good luck, he said. I charged out the door. A half-dozen telekines were tromping down the stairs. I cut through them with riptide faster than they could yelp. I kept climbing, past another telekine who was so startled he dropped his little demon's lunchbox. I left him alive. Partially because his lunchbox was cool, partly because he could raise the alarm and hopefully get his friends to follow me rather than head toward the engine room. I burst through a door onto deck six and kept running. I'm sure the carpeted hall had once been very plush, But over the last three years of monster occupation, the wallpaper, carpet, and stateroom doors have been clawed up and slimed so it looked like the inside of a dragon's throat. And yeah, unfortunately, I do know from experience. Back on my first visit up the Princess Andromeda, my old enemy Luke had kept some dazed tourists on board for show. Shrouded in mist so they didn't realize they were in a monster-infested ship. Now I didn't see any signs of tourists. I hated to think what had happened to them, but I kind of doubted they'd been allowed to go home with their bingo winnings. I reached the promenade, a big shopping mall that took up the whole middle of the ship, and I stopped cold. In the middle of the courtyard stood a fountain, and in the fountain squatted a giant crab. I'm not talking giant like seven ninety nine all all-you-can-eat Alaskan king crab. I'm talking giant, like bigger than the fountain. The monster rose ten feet out of the water. Its shell was mottled blue and green, its pinchers longer than my body. If you've ever seen a crab's mouth, all foamy and gross with whiskers and snapping bits, you can imagine this one didn't look any better, blown up to billboard size. Its beady black eyes glared at me, and I could see intelligence in them. And hate. The fact that I was the son of the sea god was not going to win me any points with Mr. It hissed, sea foam dripping from its mouth. The smell coming off of it was like a huge garbage can full of fish sticks that had been sitting in the sun all week. Alarms blared. What? 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 Soon I was going to have lots of company if I wanted to keep moving. Hey, Krabby! I inched around the edge of the courtyard. I'm just going to scoot around you so... The crab moved with amazing speed. It scuttled out of the fountain and came straight at me, pincer snapping. I dove into the gift shop, plowing through a rack of t-shirts. A crab pincer smashed the glass wall to pieces and raked across the room. I dashed back outside, breathing heavily, but Mr. Crabby turned and followed. There! A voice from the balcony above me.
1: Intruder!
0: I'd wanted to create a distraction, and I'd succeeded. But this is not where I wanted to fight. If I got pinned down in the center of the ship, I was crab chow. The demonic crustacean lunged at me. I sliced at it with riptide, taking off the tip of its claw. It hissed and foamed, but didn't seem very hurt. I tried to remember anything from the old stories that might help with this thing. Annabeth had told me about a monster crab. Something about Hercules crushing it under its foot? Something about Hercules crushing it under his foot? That wasn't going to work here. This crab was slightly bigger than my Reeboks. And a weird thought occurred to me. Last Christmas, my mom and I had bought... (laughs) This crab was slightly bigger than my Reeboks. Then a weird thought occurred to me. Last Christmas, my mom and I had brought Paul Blowfist to our old cabinet at Montauk, where we'd been going forever. Paul had taken me crabbing, and when he'd brought up a net full of things, he'd shown me how crabs have a little chink in their armor, right in the middle of their ugly bellies. The only problem was getting to the ugly belly. I glanced at the fountain, then at the marble floor, already slick from scuttling crab tracks. I held out my hand, concentrating on the water, and the fountain exploded. Water sprayed everywhere, three stories high, dousing the balconies and the elevators and the windows of the shops. (laughs) The crab didn't care. It loved water. It came at me sideways, snapping and hissing, and I ran straight at it, screaming, Aah! Just before we collided, I hit the ground baseball-style and slid on the wet marble floor straight under the creature. It was like sliding under a seven-ton armored vehicle. All the crab had to do was sit, and it would squash me. But before it realized what was going on, I jabbed riptide up into the chink in its armor, let go of the hilt, and pushed myself out the backside. The monster shuddered and hissed. Its eyes dissolved, its shell turned bright red as its insides evaporated. The empty shell clattered to the floor in a massive heap. I didn't have time to admire my handiwork. I ran for the nearest stairs while all around me the monsters and demigods shouted orders and strapped on their weapons. I was empty-handed. Riptide, being magic, would appear in my pocket sooner or later, but for now... It was stuck somewhere under the wreckage of the crab, and I had no time to retrieve it. In the elevator foyer, on deck eight, a couple of drakane slithered across my pass. A couple of drakane slithered across my path. From the waist up, they were women with scaly green skin, yellow eyes, and forked tongues. From the waist down, they had double snake trunks instead of legs. They held spears and weighted nets, and I knew from experience they could use them. What is this? one of them said a prize for Kronos I wasn't in the mood to play break the snake but in front of me was a stand with a model of a ship like a you are here display I ripped the model off the pedestal and hurled it at the first Dracane the boat smacked into her face and she went down with the ship I jumped over her grabbed her friend's spear and swung her around she slammed into the elevator and I kept running toward the front of the ship Get him! (laughs) She screamed. Hellhounds bayed. An arrow from somewhere whizzed past my face and impaled itself in the mahogany-paneled wall of the stairwell. I didn't care. As long as I got the monsters away from the engine room and gave Beckendorf more time. As I was running up the stairwell, a kid charged down. He looked like he'd just woken up from a nap. His armor was half on. He drew his sword and yelled... Kronos! But he sounded more scared than angry. He couldn't have been more than twelve, about the same way about the same age I was when I'd first arrived at Camp Halfblood. That thought depressed me. This kid was getting brainwashed, trained to hate the gods and lash out because he'd been born half Olympian. Kronos was using him, and yet the kid thought I was his enemy. There's no way I was going to hurt him. I didn't need a weapon for this. I stepped aside his strike and grabbed his wrist, slamming it against the wall. His sword clattered out of his hand. Then I did something I hadn't planned on. It was probably stupid. It would definitely jeopardize our mission, but I couldn't help it. If you want to live, I told him, get off this ship now. Tell the other demigods. Then I shoved him back down the stairs and sent him tumbling to the next floor. I kept climbing. Bad memories. A hallway ran past the cafeteria. Annabeth, my half-brother Tyson... Annabeth, my half-brother Tyson, and I had sneaked through here three years ago on my first visit. I burst outside onto the main deck. Off the port bow, the sky was darkening from purple to black. A swimming pool glowed between two glass towers with more balconies and restaurant decks. The whole upper ship seemed eerily deserted. All I had to do was get across to the other side. Then I could take the staircase down to the helipad, our emergency rendezvous point. With any luck, Beckendorf would meet me there. We would jump into the sea. My water powers would protect us both. We'd detonate the charges from about a quarter mile away. I was halfway across the deck when the sound of a voice made me freeze. You're late, Percy. Luke stood on the balcony above me, a smile on his scarred face. He wore jeans, a white t-shirt, and flip-flops like he was just some normal college-age guy, but his eyes told me the truth. They were solid gold. Yeah... We have been expecting you for days. At f- at first, he sounded like normal Luke. But then his face twitched; a shudder passed through his body like he'd just drunk something really nasty. His voice became heavier, ancient, and powerful—the voice of the Titan Lord Kronos. The words scraped down my spine like a knife. Come, bow before me. Yeah, that'll happen, I muttered. Lacedragonian giants filed on either side of the swimming pool as if they'd been waiting for a cue. Each one was eight feet tall with tattooed arms, leather armor, and spiked clubs. Demigod archers appeared on the roof above Luke. Two hellhounds leapt down from the opposite balcony and snarled at me. Within seconds, I was surrounded. A trap. There's no way they could have gotten into position so fast unless they had known I was coming. I looked up at Luke, and anger boiled inside me. I didn't know if Luke's consciousness was even still alive inside that body. Maybe the way his voice had changed. Or maybe it was just Kronos adapting to his new form. I told myself it didn't matter. Luke had been twisted and evil long before Kronos possessed him. A voice in my head said... I have to fight him eventually. Why not now? According to that big prophecy, I was supposed to make a choice that saved or destroyed the world when I was sixteen. That was only seven days away. Why not now? If I really had the power, what difference would a week make? I could end this threat right here by taking down Kronos. Hey, I'd fought monsters and gods before. As if reading my thoughts, Luke smiled. No. He was Kronos. I had to remember that. Come forward. If you dare. The crowd of monsters parted. I moved up the stairs, my heart pounding. I was sure somebody would stab me in the back, but they let me pass. I felt my pocket and found my pen waiting. I uncapped it, and Riptide grew into a sword. Kronos' weapon appeared in his hands. A six-foot-long scythe. Half-celestial bronze, half-mortal steel. Just looking at the thing made my knees turn to jello. But before I could change my mind, I charged. Time slowed down. I mean literally slowed down, because Kronos had that power. I felt like I was moving through syrup. My arms were so heavy I could barely raise my sword. Kronos smiled, swirling his scythe at normal speed and waiting for me to creep toward my death. I tried to fight his magic. I concentrated on the sea around me, the source of my power. I'd gotten better at channeling it over the years, but nothing seemed to happen. I took another slow step toward... I took a snu... I took another slow step forward... Now I lost it. Now I lost the spot. Where is it? Where the heck is it? Here we go. Found it. All right, we're good. No, it's fine. Hey, don't worry. It's fine. I took another slow step forward. Giants cheered. Drakane hissed with laughter. Hey, ocean, I pleaded. Any day now would be good. Suddenly there was a wrenching pain in my gut. The entire boat lurched sideways, throwing monsters off their feet. Four thousand gallons of salt water surged out of the swimming pool, dousing me and Kronos and everyone on the deck. The water revitalized me, breaking the time spell, and I lunged forward. I struck at Kronos, but I was too slow. I made the mistake of looking at his face. Luke's face. A guy who was once my friend. As much as I hated him, it was hard to kill him. Kronos had no such hesitation. He sliced downward with his scythe. I leapt back and the evil blade missed me by an inch, cutting a gash in the deck right below my feet. I kicked Kronos in the chest. He stumbled backward, but he was heavier than Luke should have been. It was like kicking a refrigerator. Kronos swung his scythe again. I intercepted it with Riptide, but his strike was so powerful my my blade could only deflect it. The edge of the scythe shaved off my shirt sleeve and grazed my arm. It shouldn't have been a serious cut, but the entire side of my body exploded with pain. I remembered what a sea demon had once said about Kronos' scythe. Careful, fool. One touch in the blade will sever your soul from your body. Now I understood what he meant. I wasn't just losing blood. I could feel my strength, my will, my identity draining away. I stumbled backward, switching my sword to my left hand, and lunged desperately. My blade should have run him through, but it deflected off of his stomach like I was hitting solid marble. There was no way he should have survived that. Kronos laughed. (laughs) It's a poor performance, Percy Jackson. Luke tells me you were never much of a match for his swordplay. My vision started to blur. I knew I didn't have much time. Yeah, Luke had a pretty big head on him. But at least it was in his head. Oh. Yeah, Luke had a pretty big head on him. I said. But at least it was his head. It's a shame to kill you now, Kronos mused, before the final plan unfolds. I would love to see the terror in your eyes when you realize how I will destroy Olympus. You'll never get this boat to Manhattan. My arm was throbbing. Black spots danced in my vision. And why would that be? Cronus's golden eyes glittered. His face, Luke's face, seemed like a mask. Unnatural and lit from behind like some evil power and lit from behind like... His face, Luke's face, seemed like a mask. Unnatural and lit from behind by some evil power.
1: Perhaps you're counting on your friend with the explosives.
0: He looked down at the pool and called, Nakamura! A teenage guy in full Greek armor pushed through the crowd. His left eye was covered with a black patch. I knew him, of course. Ethan Nakamura, the son of Nemesis. I'd saved his life in the labyrinth last summer, and in return, the little punk had helped Kronos come back to life. Success, my lord, Ethan called. We found him just as we were told. He clapped his hands, and two giants lumbered forward, dragging Charles Beckendorf between them. My heart almost stopped. Beckendorf had a swollen eye and cuts all over his face and arms. His armor was gone, and his shirt was nearly torn off. No! I yelled. Beckendorf met my eyes. He glanced at his hand like he was trying to tell me something. His watch. They hadn't taken it yet, and that was the detonator. Was it possible the explosives were armed? Surely the monsters would have dismantled them right away.
1: We found
0: him amidships, one of the giants said, trying to sneak to the engine room. Can we eat him now? Soon. Kronos scowled at Ethan. Are you sure he didn't set the explosives? He was going toward the engine room, my lord. How do you know that? Uh, Ethan shifted uncomfortably. He was heading in that direction, and he told us his bag is too full of explosives. Slowly, I began to understand. Beckendorf had fooled them. When he'd realized he was going to be captured, he turned to make it look like he was going the other way. He'd convinced them he hadn't made it to the engine room yet. The Greek fire might still be primed, but that didn't do us any good until we could get off the ship to detonate it. Kronos hesitated. By the story, I prayed. The pain in my arm was so bad now I could barely stand. Open his bag, Kronos ordered. One of the giants ripped the explosive satchel from Beckendorf's shoulders. He peered inside. Grunted and turned it upside down. Panicked monsters surged backward. If the bag really had been full of Greek fire jars, we would have all blown up. But what fell out were a dozen cans of peaches. I could hear Kronos breathing, trying to control his anger. Did you, perhaps, he said, capture this demigod near the galley? Ethan turned pale. Um. And did you perhaps send someone to actually check the engine room? Ethan scrambled back in terror, then turned on his heels and ran. I cursed silently. Now we only had minutes before the bombs were disarmed. I caught Beckendorf's eyes again and asked a silent question, hoping he would understand. How long? He cupped his fingers and thumb, making a circle. Zero. There was no delay on the timer at all. If he managed to press the detonator button, the ship would blow at once. We'd never be able to get far enough away before using it. The monsters would kill us first, or disarm the explosives, or both. Kronos turned toward me with a crooked smile.
1: You'll have to excuse my
0: incompetent help, Percy Jackson. But it doesn't matter. We have you now. We've known you were coming for weeks. He held out his hand and dangled a little silver bracelet with a scythe charm, the Titan Lord's symbol. The wound in my arm was sapping my ability to think, but I muttered, communication device. A spy at the camp. Kronos chuckled. You can't count on friends they will always let you down. Luke Learn that the hard way. Now drop your sword and surrender to me, or your friend dies. I swallowed. One of the giants had his hand around Beckendorf's neck. I was in no shape to rescue him, and even if I tried, he would die before I got there. We both would. Beckendorf mouthed one word. Go. I shook my head. I couldn't just leave him. The second giant was still rummaging through the peach cans, which meant Beckendorf's left arm was free. He raised it slowly toward the watch on his right wrist. I wanted to scream, No! Then down by the swimming pool, one of the drakane hissed,
1: What is he doing? What is that on his wrist?
0: Beckendorf closed his eyes tight and brought his hand up to his watch. Beckendorf closed his eyes tight and brought his hand up to his watch. I had no choice. I threw my sword like a javelin at Kronos. It bounced harmlessly off his chest, but it did startle him. I pushed through a crowd of monsters and jumped off the side of the ship toward the water a hundred feet below. Monsters yelled from above. I heard rumbling deep in the ship. A spear sailed past my ear, an arrow pierced my thigh, but I barely had time to register the pain. I plunged into the sea and willed the currents to take me far, far away, a hundred yards, 200 yards. Even from that distance, the explosion shook the world. Heat seared the back of my head. The Princess Andromeda blew up from both sides. A massive fireball of green flame roiling into the dark sky, consuming everything. Beckendorf, I thought. Then I blacked out and sank like an anchor to the bottom of the sea. There you have it, folks. The first of our two chapters for the evening. Everyone, I hope you have enjoyed. I must take my five minute break very, very quickly today. for I must use the restroom. Hey, folks, that was indeed an end of a chapter. Everyone, we have probably just lost a demigod. I believe that's going to be the end of Beckendorf. If there was some way for him to survive that, I don't know how. So, Orly Rose says, I am shook. Yes, indeed. A heck of a way to end a, end a chapter. We're going to be back with one more tonight. Um, y'all, I would like you to please uh, let me know how you're feeling so far. Let me know how the audio is and everything. Um, but I hope you were enjoying. Everyone. Uh, I'm going to be back in five minutes, take a quick break, but first let me leave you with a chatter break question. We've had a very small amount of discussion so far relating to uh, Percy Jackson's Fatal Flaw. This is the final book. How do we think Percy Jackson's Fatal Flaw is going to manifest in this? This is one of the most important aspects of exploration uh, to be done with this this particular part of the, this you know this genre, right? Young adult literature, you know, trying to, trying to distill things down into broad ideas to cover. And this one was really smart. It decided to cover this idea of fatal flaws, um, uh, which is both a great distillation of ideas, but also a great exploration of some really classic styles of literature. How do we think Percy Jackson's fatal flaw is going to make its appearances in this book? I want to say hello and uh, welcome to Kuro and to Helios Centaur. Welcome both of you, thank you for joining. Uh good to have some more punk ruffians in the mix. Folks, I will be back in five minutes. We're gonna have some discussion, I'm going to do some review, then we're gonna launch into our second and final chapter for today. I'll see you in five. Bye bye. Hello everyone, I'm back. Never you fear. You thought I was gone forever, but it's not true. Y'all remember that one time when I accidentally took a big nap right before, (laughs) right before the stream and I ended up starting the stream and then I was like, I'm just going to lay down real quick because I'm very tired. And then I did definitely, definitely go ahead and take like a 45 minute nap right there at the top of the stream. (laughs) Y'all remember that? I was a little bit late to coming back today, but no, I've I've had worse days for sure. Um, All right, now, are you ready? let's talk about this a little bit so everybody welcome back um, uh, by the way I gotta get in the right channel over here okay yes big mama Jade I hope y'all are enjoying it orly Rose Luis y'all have had some good thoughts in here let's talk about them of course we've had our chatter break question which is uh either our, our mid chapter or our betwixt chapter breaks uh, where we talk about some of the some of the major issues some of the major uh, uh, literary bits and bites from these series, I got to stop doing that. It wasn't funny the first time, but I just keep doing it, hoping it'll eventually be funny. I guess, uh, and it just isn't. You know what I mean? Series, See, series. So, uh Moonlight. I think at the, at the at the at its very core, you are correct. Moonlight. He's loyal to his friends. Louis said, "I had a bad feeling for Beckendorf when they headed out on this mission." Percy's loyalty gets him into a lot of trouble uh, because he doesn't think when he's saving his friends, uh, and out of his loyalty, he's got some very good friends that help when needed. So, uh, yeah, sort of the, the the balanced sides of this, right? Because oftentimes these fatal flaws in in uh, you know the original Greek literature, and then of course throughout time, any any uh, any literature that seems to explore this idea of like the fatal flaw, which is not just like. You know, I'm, I'm, this, I'm this very well-rounded character, but got this one thing that just got it, got me in trouble on accident, right? This is not an oversight. These fatal flaws are something that sort of define these characters. You see it factor into almost all of their decision making and all of their actions. Um, but this one, it's interesting. These fatal flaws often serve their um, their possessors fairly well for certain instances, right? Um, for Percy, he is very, very loyal to his friends, and so he's got a lot of friends who are willing to do a for him because he's been very loyal. Um, uh, in the case of Odysseus, you know, where, where a lot of folks will, for the first time, hear this idea of a fatal flaw when they're reading uh, the Odyssey. Um, Odysseus and his fatal flaw of hubris, his sort of pride, um, of course, it gets into him a lot of trouble. That's the idea of kind of what a, fa- that's why it's called a fatal flaw, not a sort of like uh, a dicey flaw or you know kind of a kind of a shaky flaw no it's a fatal flaw it gets him into a ton of trouble um and often in uh literature like this the word fatal is meant literally however that same pride also is sort of what allows him to embark on these entirely just sort of like um uh unthinkable missions right um uh, the the odyssey itself is an undertaking that no human would necessarily jump to as the as as a like uh, a sensible course of action, um, but Odysseus wanted something. And in order to attain it, he had to do something totally audacious. Um, and it's his pride that sort of led him to be willing to undertake that thing, right? That huge journey of his. Without his pride, he probably would have simply said, like, uh, "No human being is cut out for this. So I guess I'm never going to see my family again." Orly Rose says, my thoughts on his fatal flaw have changed. I used to think it was basically only an impulsive knee-jerk savior complex, but now I think it's more deeply motivated by fear. He's afraid of anyone getting hurt or losing anyone, having bad things happen, so he feels like he must act to save and protect and defend, and he must give even bad guys chances for redemption, even if it means he could get hurt or killed. He's afraid of what will happen if he fails to act, Uh, And if he, uh, and he's afraid to condemn even bad guys uh, to bad ends most of the time. It seems that way, doesn't it? Um, Yeah, the the impression that we get from Percy is definitely one where his, it's not necessarily that I think he's got this like laser focused moral compass as much as he just, he, he doesn't like to be the one to bring justice to people. Um, either that or he has this understanding that he is not one who has the has the authority to bring justice. It's not up to him because he does not he does not like to dole it out. Or it says I also think he jumps into things out of anger. That he can't really handle is a half blood supposed to defeat Kronos, or is that a thing that the gods can do? Well, uh, good question. Roll it. I think the uh, I think overall, like the um, the issue of whether or not he can defeat Kronos, I I believe you know there, we haven't seen any evidence necessarily that it's sort of metaphysically impossible in some way, um, and. At the same time, uh, obviously it's an enormous undertaking, so it would be, I mean, just sort of like in the, if if you were to guess, just sort of in theory, yeah, there's no chance Percy's going to be able to take down Kronos. If you put it on paper, it's a real bad plan. It must come down to the gods, right? And yet... Percy and the gods seem to be uh able to interact, and Percy can interact fine with Kronos in, in terms of like he's able to be there in the same place, he can find Kronos fairly regularly, and yet the god like why why isn't Artemis like here on the deck of the ship? Why doesn't Hephaestus knock out the knock out the engines? I mean, this ship has been on the water for quite some time. What is the deal? Why hasn't uh why hasn't Poseidon himself, like, taking this ship out. You would think, much like uh, how Zeus has dominion over the skies uh, and can sort of decide to strike anything down that he wishes, so too it must be that a boat in the ocean does not pass without Poseidon's notice. We shall have to discover this as we read, won't we? Folks, let's continue for the day, I think. We have to talk a little bit about review methinks. So everyone, welcome back. Uh, final book. Hey, let's do it. We've read one chapter so far. We've got a second chapter and then that's it for today. Um, a little bit lighter on this one, but don't worry. The rest of the book uh, is going to be pretty. We're, we're going to have some really robust streams for the rest of this book. Never you fear. Um, so. A bit of review. Of course, we've mentioned in the earlier review, Percy Jackson. Bur- Percy Jackson. Uh, Percy Jackson is a demigod. He has had a number of quests over time. So we've gotten kind of, he's gotten okay at this. Frankly, a lot of it has been sort of happenstance. A lot of it has been, uh, you know, some help from the people around him. But Percy has survived thus far, and he has now, as of chapter one of this book. Uh, he's been sent out on a mission or he's accepted a mission in some way. It seems like it may well be part of his own initiative, but he and, uh, the camp counselor of the Hephaestus cabin, um, Beckendorf, Charles Beckendorf, Beckendorf and Percy, uh, apparently have sussed out the location of the princess Andromeda. It is heading toward Manhattan as they knew that it would, because they're going to try and make an assault on Olympus itself, which means they're going to head to the Empire State Building, um... By the way, folks, if you are looking for an intro... I'm going to just interrupt the because I've really been enjoying this podcast recently. Um, I've been sleeping on Dimension 20 for too long. Um, I've I've listened to uh, a Critical Role a decent bit, but I am just terribly impressed with Dimension 20. And uh, if, if you have ever sort of listened to Critical Role or others like it, um, and you haven't really been able to connect with it because it dwells too much and too often in the sort of combat space and you sort of lose track of that. Dimension 20 does have its moments, but um, I find that Dimension 20 sort of like, it it keeps it sort of grounded mentally for the the listening experience a little bit better. Um, And so... Dimension 20, I think is, it might be the top of my list now, uh, I have listened to The Unsleeping City, and that's the reason I made this sort of segue, um, because if you like this sort of idea of, like, what if New York had some, a little bit more magic to it, well, uh, Dimension 20 did a series called The Unsleeping City, um, and that one was fantastic, also Fantasy High was fantastic, um, so if you want to check out those two, but especially Unsleeping City, it's the I literally just finished that earlier today. I listened to the last 20 minutes about two hours ago. Um, uh, absolutely fantastic. Brennan Lee Mulligan is a force, and I look forward to listening to a lot more of their stuff in the future. So there's that. Anyway, um, this boat, the Princess Andromeda... Crewed by monsters, headed, uh, captained by Kronos in Luke's body, Uh, Percy has to head there with Beckendorf, and they're going to try and blow that sucker up. And as of the end of this, they manage to do so, but at the enormous cost of Beckendorf staying behind to blow up with the ship. Percy manages to escape just barely, and is now unconscious underwater. We shall see how he fares. Everyone, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful time listening here. Uh, Plague Deity says Dimension Twenty is freaking awesome. Yeah, Plague Deity. When I was listening to your uh, your one shot with the crew, um, your alien one shot, I I could definitely uh, I was definitely picking that up. I, I I I could I could hear that you had some uh, some influences there, and and it, it feels a little bit more Brendan Lee Mulligan even than uh, than Critical Role. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with that dude and what he's doing. As I was impressed with what you are doing, <laughs> Plague Deity. So, uh, yeah, I, y'all, Plague Deity has been asking for a while in Discord, um... Uh, anyone who wants to jump in and play i definitely want to at some point um i can feel that i am sort of on the cusp of it i knew the moment that youtube went down and i decided not to just shut the whole channel down i knew i was signing up for a lot of time uh like chomped out of my schedule here uh through at least essentially through the end of 2021. Uh, hopefully, 2022 is going to look a little better for me because I will be editing instead of you know trying to do a full book of streams at once. I will be editing you know little pieces of them and then just sort of my my regular three streams a week um, and uh, be able to get those up nicely. And I should have more time for that. But Plague Deity runs a great game. Um, and uh, I, I mean, not only that, but like there are some other things surrounding tabletop RPGs. It's important to be able to read your players well and uh, to be to be a kind GM and to be um, uh, sensitive to your players. And uh, Plague Deity accomplished that very nicely as well. So y'all should not... I know a lot of times it's tough to say like, hey, I know you in exactly one way. You are a name I've seen on the internet. Um... Uh, we both hang out in this same Discord or whatever, but uh, Plague Deity, I was very impressed, and so y'all should y'all should feel, you know, from from what I've seen so far, y'all should feel pretty safe uh, jumping in with Plague Deity. Uh, all right, let's jump in. Luis says, he should be fine. Water heals him, right? And Rollet says, I think first he's going to be fine, and he's going to wash up at camp. Let's find out! Chapter two, I meet some fishy relatives. Demigod dreams suck. The thing is, they're never just dreams. They've gotta be visions, omens, and all that other mystical stuff that makes my brain hurt. I dreamed I was in a dark palace at the top of a mountain. Unfortunately, I recognized it. The palace of the Titans on top of Mount Othrys. Otherwise known as Mount Tamalpais in California. The main pavilion was open to the night, ringed with black Greek columns and statues of the Titans. Torchlight glowed above the black marble floor. In the center of the room, an armored giant struggled under the weight of a swirling funnel cloud. Atlas, holding up the sky. Two other giant men stood nearby over a bronze brazier, studying images in the flames. Quite an explosion, one said. He wore black armor studded with silver dots like a starry knight. His face was covered with a war helm with ram's horns curling on either side. It does not matter, the other said. This titan was dressed in gold robes, with golden eyes like Kronos. His entire body glowed. He reminded me of Apollo, god of the sun, except the titan's light was harsher, and his expression crueler.
1: The gods have answered
0: the challenge.
1: Soon they will be destroyed.
0: The images in the fire were hard to make out. Storms buildings crumbling mortals screaming in terror
1: i shall go east to marshal our forces
0: ah shoot that's right hopefully it sounds different enough that this even makes sense to edit
1: i will go east to marshal our forces
0: the titan the golden oh boy boy oh boy oh boy oh boy I shall go
1: east to marshal our forces,
0: the golden titan said.
1: Krios, you shall remain and guard Mount
0: Othrys. The ram dude grunted.
1: I always get the stupid jobs, Lord of the South. Lord of Constellations, now I get to babysit Atlas while you have all the
0: fun. Under the whirlwind of clouds, Atlas bellowed in agony. Let
1: me out! Curse you! I'm your greatest warrior! Take my burden so I may fight!
0: Quiet, the Golden Titan roared. You had your chance, Atlas!
1: You failed! Kronos likes you just where you are. As for you, Creos, do your duty. And if you need more warriors? Krios asked. Our treacherous nephew in the tuxedo will not do you much good in a fight.
0: The Golden Titan laughed.
1: Don't worry about him. Besides, the gods can barely handle our first little challenge. They have no idea how many others we have in store. Mark my words, in a few days' time, Olympus will be in ruins and we will meet here again to celebrate the dawn of the Sixth Age.
0: The golden titan erupted into flames and disappeared. Oh, sure, Krios grumbled. He gets to erupt into
1: flames. I get to wear these stupid ram's horns.
0: The scene shifted. Now I was outside a pavilion, hiding in the shadows of a Greek column. A boy stood next to me, eavesdropping on the titans. He had dark, silky hair, pale skin, and dark clothes. My friend, Nico D'Angelo, the son of Hades. He looked straight at me, his expression grim. You see, Percy, he whispered, you're running out of time. Do you really think you can beat them without my plan? His words washed over me as cold as the ocean floor and my dreams went black. Mm, Percy, a deep voice said. My head felt like it had been microwaved in aluminum foil. I opened my eyes and saw a large, shadowy figure looming over me. Beckendorf? I asked, hopefully. "Mm, No, brother. My eyes refocused. I was looking at a cyclops. the misshapen face, ratty brown hair, and one big brown eye full of concern. Tyson? My brother broke into a toothy grin. Yay, hmm, your brain works, hmm. I wasn't so sure. My body felt weightless and cold. My voice sounded wrong. I could hear Tyson, but it was more like I was hearing vibrations inside my skull, not the regular sounds. I sat up, and a gossamer sheet floated away. I was in a bed made of silky woven kelp in a room paneled with abalone shell. Glowing pearls the size of basketballs floated around the ceiling, providing light. I was underwater. Now, being the son of Poseidon and all, I'm okay with this. I can breathe underwater just fine, and my clothes don't even get wet unless I want them to. But it was still a bit of a shock when I hammerhead shark... But it was still a bit of a shock when a hammerhead shark drifted through the bedroom window regarded me, and then swam calmly out the opposite side of the room. Where? Daddy's palace, Hmm. Tyson said. Under different circumstances, I would have been excited. I'd never visited Poseidon's realm, and I'd been dreaming about it for years. But my head hurt. My shirt was still speckled with burn marks from the explosion. My arm and leg wounds had healed... Just being in the ocean could do that for me, given enough time. But I still felt like I'd been trampled by a Lacedragonian soccer team in cleats. How long? Mm, We found you mm, last night, Tyson said. Mm, Sinking mm, through the water. The Princess Andromeda? Mm. Went mm, kaboom, Tyson confirmed. Beckendorf was on board. Did you find... Tyson's face darkened. Mm -hmm. No sign of him. I am sorry, brother. I stared out the window into the deep blue water. Beckendorf was supposed to go to college in the fall. He had a girlfriend. Lots of friends. His whole life ahead of him. He couldn't be gone. Maybe he'd made it off the ship, like I had. Maybe he'd jumped over the side. And what? He couldn't have survived a hundred foot fall into the water like I could. He couldn't have put enough distance between himself and the explosion. I knew in my gut he was dead. He'd sacrificed himself to take out the Princess Andromeda, and I had abandoned him. I thought about my dream. The Titans discussing the explosion as if it didn't matter. Nico D'Angelo warning me that I would never beat Kronos without following his plan. A dangerous idea I'd been avoiding for more than a year. A distant blast shook the room. Green light blazed outside, turning the whole sea as bright as noon. What was that? I asked. Tyson looked worried. Mm, daddy will explain. Hmm. Come, he is blowing up monsters. Hmm. The palace might have been the most amazing place I'd ever seen, if it hadn't been in the process of getting destroyed. We swam to the end of a long hallway and shot upward on a geyser. As we rose over the rooftops, I caught my breath. Well, if you can catch your breath underwater. The palace was as big as the city on Mount Olympus, with wide courtyards, gardens, and columned pavilions. The gardens were sculpted with coral colonies and glowing sea plants. Twenty or thirty buildings were made of abalone, but... Oh, white but gleaming with rainbow colors. Fish and octopi darted in and out of the windows... The pads were lined with glowing pearls like Christmas lights. The main courtyard was filled with warriors, mermen with fish tails from the waist down and human bodies from the waist up, except their skin was blue, which I had never known before. Some were tending to the wounded, some were sharpening spears and swords. One passed us, swimming in a hurry, his eyes were bright green like the stuff they put in glow sticks and his teeth and his teeth were shark teeth. They didn't show you stuff like that in the Little Mermaid. Outside the main courtyard stood large fortifications, towers, walls, and anti-siege weapons, but most of these had been smashed to ruins. Others were blazing in a strange green light that I knew well. Greek fire, which can burn even under water. Beyond this, the seafloor stretched into the gloom. I could see battles raging. Flashes of energy, explosions, the glint of armies clashing. A regular human would have found it too dark to see. Heck, a regular human would have been crushed by the pressure and frozen by the cold. Even my heat sensitive eyes couldn't make out exactly what was going on. At the edge of the palace complex, a temple with red coral roof exploded, sending fire and debris streaming in slow motion across the farthest gardens. Out of the darkness above, an enormous form appeared, a squid larger than any skyscraper. It was surrounded by a glittering cloud of dust. At least I thought it was dust, until I realized it was a swarm of mermen trying to attack the monster. The squid descended to the palace and swatted its tentacles, smashing a whole column of warriors. Then a brilliant arc of blue light shot from the rooftop of one of the tallest buildings. The light hit the giant squid and the monster dissolved like food coloring in water. Mm, Daddy. Tyson said, pointing to where the light had come from. He did that? I suddenly felt more hopeful. My dad had unbelievable powers. He was the god of the sea. He could deal with this attack, right? Maybe he'd let me help. Have you been in the fight? I asked Tyson in awe. Like smashing heads with your awesome cyclops' strength and stuff? Tyson pouted, and immediately I knew I'd asked a bad question. I have been mm, mm, fixing weapons, he mumbled. Come, mm, let's go find daddy. I know this might sound weird to people with, like, regular parents, but I'd only seen my dad four or five times in my life, and never for more than a few minutes. The Greek gods don't exactly show up for their kids' basketball games. Still, I thought I would recognize Poseidon on sight. I was wrong. The roof of the temple was a big open deck that had been set up as a command center. A mosaic on the floor showed an exact map of the palace grounds and surrounding ocean, but the mosaic moved. Colored stone tiles representing different armies and sea monsters shifted around as the forces changed position. Buildings that collapsed in real life also collapsed in the picture. Standing around the mosaic, grimly studying the battle, was a strange assortment of warriors, but none of them looked like my dad. I was searching for a big guy and a good, oh, I was searching for a big guy with a good tan and a black beard, wearing Bermuda shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. There was nobody like that. One guy was a merman with two fish tails instead of one. His skin was green, his armor studded with pearls. His black hair was tied in a ponytail, and he looked young, though it's hard to tell with non-humans. They could be a thousand years old or three. Standing next to him was an old man with a bushy white beard and gray hair. His armor seemed to weigh him down. He had green eyes and smile wrinkles around his eyes, but he wasn't smiling now. He was studying the map and leaning on a large metal staff. To his right stood a beautiful woman in green armor with flowing black hair and strange little horns like crab claws. And there was a dolphin, just a regular dolphin. But it was staring at the map intently. Dolphin, the old man said, send Palamon and his legion of sharks to the western front. We have to neutralize those leviathans. The dolphin spoke in a chattering voice, but I could understand it in my mind. Yes, Lord? It's better way. I looked in dismay at Tyson, then back at the old man. It didn't seem possible, but... Dad? I asked. The old man looked up. I recognized the twinkle in his eyes, but his face... He looked like he had aged 40 years. Hello, Percy. What what happened to you? Tyson nudged me. He was shaking his head so hard I was afraid it would fall off, but Poseidon didn't look offended. It's all right, Tyson, he said. Percy, excuse my appearance. The war has been hard on me. But you're immortal," I said quietly. "You can look, you can look any way you want." I reflect the state of my realm," he said, "and right now that state is quite grim. Percy, I should introduce you. I'm, I'm afraid you just minute I'm afraid you just missed Lieutenant Delphine, god of the dolphins. This is my uh, wife." Amphitrite? Oh, excuse me. Amphitrite. There we go. <laughs> Gross. This is my uh, wife, Amphitrite. My dear, the lady in green armor stood at... Green? Greem? That's the word you said, Sam. You said the word greem. The lady in green armor stared at me coldly, then crossed her arms and said, Excuse me, my lord, I'm needed in the battle. She swam away. I felt pretty awkward, but I guess I couldn't blame her. I'd never thought about it much, but my dad had an immortal wife. All his romances with mortals, including my mom. Well, Amphitrite probably didn't like that much. By the way, uh, Osteoid, hello. Welcome, good to have you here uh welcome to uh (laughs) welcome to the punk ruffians i hope you're having a good one we are currently in the midst of chapter two of percy jackson and the olympians book five if you want to catch up on what we've been doing here check out flying sidecar on spotify or wherever you get podcasts oh oh look at me go (laughs) poseidon cleared his throat yes well this is my son triton um my other son your son and heir, the green dude corrected his double fish tail swished back and forth he smiled at me but there was no friendliness in his eyes hello perseus jackson have you come to help at last he acted like i was late or lazy if you can blush underwater i probably did Tell me what to do, I said. Triton smiled like that was a cute suggestion, like I was a slightly amusing dog that had barked for him or something. He turned to Poseidon. I would like to see the front line, father. Don't worry, I will not fail. He nodded politely to Tyson. How come I didn't get that much respect? Then he shot off into the water. Poseidon sighed. He raised his staff. It changed into his regular weapon, a huge three-pointed trident. The tip glowed with blue light and the water around it boiled with energy. I'm sorry about that,' he told me. A huge sea serpent appeared from above us and spiraled down toward the roof. It was bright orange with a fanged mouth big enough to swallow a gymnasium. Hardly looking up, Poseidon pointed his trident at the beast and zapped it away with a blue energy. The monster burst into a million goldfish, which all swam off in terror. My family's anxious, Poseidon continued as if nothing had happened. The battle against Oceanus is going poorly. He pointed to the edge of the mosaic. With the butt of his trident, he tapped the image of a merman larger than the rest. With the horns of a bull. He appeared to be riding a chariot pulled by crawfish, and instead of a sword, he wielded a live serpent. Oceanus, I said, trying to remember. The Titan of the Sea? Poseidon nodded. He was neutral in the first war of the gods and the Titans, but Kronos has convinced him to fight. This is not a good sign. Oceanus would not commit unless he was sure he could pick the winning side. He looks stupid, I said, trying to sound upbeat. I mean, who fights with a snake? Mm. Daddy will tie it in knots, Tyson said firmly. Poseidon smiled, but he looked weary. I appreciate your faith. We've been at war almost a year now. Our powers are taxed, and still he finds new forces to throw at me. See, monsters so ancient I'd forgotten about them. I heard an explosion in the distance. About half a mile away, a mountain of coral disintegrated under the weight of two giant creatures. I could dimly make out their shapes. One was a lobster. The other was a giant humanoid, like a cyclops, but surrounded by a flurry of limbs. At first, I thought he was wearing... An octopi. Then I realized they were his own arms. A hundred flailing, fighting arms. Briaris, I said. I was happy to see him, but it looked like he was fighting for his life. He was the last of his kind, a hundred-handed one, cousin of the Cyclopes. We'd saved him from Kronos' prison last summer, and I knew he would come to help Poseidon, but I hadn't heard of him since. He fights well. "'Poseidon said. "'I wish we had a whole army just like him. "'But he's the only one.' "'I watched as Briaris bellowed in rage "'and picked up the lobster, which thrashed and snapped its pinchers. "'He threw it off the coral mountain, "'and the lobster disappeared into the darkness. "'Briaris swam after it, "'his hundred arms spinning like the blades of a motorboat. "'Percy, we may not have much time.' my dad said. Tell me of your mission. Did you see, Kronos? I told him everything, though my voice choked up when I explained about Beckendorf. I looked down at the courtyards below and saw hundreds of wounded mermen lying on makeshift cots. I saw rows of coral mounds that had been hastily made graves. I realized Beckendorf wasn't the first to death. He was only one of hundreds, maybe thousands. I'd never felt so angry and helpless. Poseidon stroked his beard. Percy, Beckendorf chose a heroic death. You bear no blame for that. Kronos' army will be disarrayed. Many will be destroyed. Many will be destroyed. But we didn't kill him, did we? As I said, I knew it was a naive hope. But we might blow up ships, disintegrate monsters, and a titan lord wouldn't be so easy to kill. No, Poseidon admitted. Um, But you've brought our side some time. There were demigods on that ship, I said, thinking of the kid I'd seen on the stairwell. Somehow I'd allowed myself to concentrate on the monsters in Kronos. I'd convinced myself that destroying their ship was all right because they were evil. They were sailing to attack my city, and besides, they couldn't really be permanently killed. Monsters just vaporized and reformed eventually. But demigods... Poseidon put his hand on my shoulder. Mercy, there were only a few demigod warriors aboard that ship. "'And they all chose to battle for Kronos. "'Perhaps some heeded your warning and escaped. "'If they did not, they chose their path.' "'They were brainwashed,' I said. "'Now they're dead and Kronos is alive. "'That's supposed to make me feel better?' "'I glared at the mosaic. "'Little tile explosions carrying... "'Little tile explosions destroying tile monsters.' It seemed so easy when it was just a picture. Tyson put his arm around me. If anybody else had tried that, I would have pushed him away, but Tyson was too big and stubborn. He hugged me whether I wanted it or not. Mm, not your fault, brother. Hmm. Hmm. And Kronos does not explode good. Next time, hmm, we will use a big stick. Hmm. Percy my father said, "'Beckendorf's sacrifice wasn't in vain. "'You have scattered the invasion force. "'New York will be safe for a time, "'which frees the other Olympians to deal with the bigger threat.' "'The bigger threat?' I thought. "'What the golden... "'I thought about what the golden titan had said in my dream. "'The gods have answered the challenge.' Soon they will be destroyed. A shadow passed over my father's face. You've had enough sorrow for one day. Ask Chiron when you return to camp. Return to camp? You're you're in trouble here. I want to help. You can't, Percy. Your job is elsewhere. I couldn't believe I was hearing this. I looked at Tyson for backup. My brother chewed on his lip. "'Daddy, hmm, 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 Percy can fight with a sword. Hmm, he is good.' "'I know that,' Poseidon said gently. "'Dad, I can help,' I said. "'I know that I can. You're not going to hold out here much longer.' A fireball launched into the sky from behind enemy lines. I thought Poseidon would deflect it or something, but it landed in the outer corner of the yard and exploded, sending mermen tumbling through the water. Poseidon winced as if he had just been stabbed. Return to the camp, he insisted, and tell Chiron that it's time. For what? You must hear the prophecy, the entire prophecy. I didn't need to ask him which prophecy. I'd been hearing about the great prophecy for years, but nobody would ever tell me the whole thing. All I knew was that I was supposed to make a decision that would decide the fate of the world. But no pressure. What if this is the decision, I said? Staying here to fight or leaving? What if I leave you and you... I couldn't say die. Gods weren't supposed to die, but I'd seen it happen. Even if they didn't die... It could be reduced to nearly nothing. Exiled, imprisoned in the depths of Tartarus, just like Cronos had been. Percy, you must go, Poseidon insisted. I don't know what your final decision will be, but your fight lies in the world above. And if nothing else, you must warn your friends at camp. Kronos knew your plans, you have a spy. We'll hold here. We have no choice. Tyson gripped my hand desperately. Mm, I will miss you, brother. Watching us, my father seemed to age another ten years. Tyson, you got work to do as well, my son. They'll need you in the armory. Tyson pouted some more.
1: Mm. Mm. Mm.
0: I will go, he sniffled. He hugged me so hard he almost cracked my ribs. Mm. Percy, be careful. Mm. Do not let monsters kill you dead. Mm. I tried to nod confidently, but it was too much for the big guy. He sobbed and swam away toward the armory where his cousins were fixing swords and spears. You should let him fight, I told my father. He hates being stuck in the armory. Can't you tell? Poseidon shook his head. It's bad enough that I must send you into danger. Tyson's too young. I, I must protect him. You should trust him, I said. Not try to protect him. Poseidon's eyes flared. I thought I'd gone too far, but... Then he looked down at the mosaic and his shoulders sagged. On the tiles, the mermaid guy and the crawfish chariot was coming closer to the palace. Oceanus approaches, my father said. I must meet him in battle. i had never been so scared for a god before, but I didn't see how my dad could face this titan and win. I will hold, Poseidon promised. I will not give up my domain. Just tell me, Percy. You still have the birthday gift I gave you last summer. I nodded and pulled out my camp necklace. It had a bead for every summer I'd been at Camp Half-Blood, but since last year I'd also kept a sand dollar on the cord. My father had given it to me for my 15th birthday. He told me I would know when to spend it, but so far I hadn't figured out what he meant. All I knew was it didn't fit in the vending machines in the school cafeteria. The time is coming. He promised. With luck, I'll see you for your birthday next week, and we'll have a proper celebration. He smiled, and for a moment I saw the old light in his eyes. Then the entire sea grew dark in front of us, like an inky storm was rolling in. Thunder crackled, which should have been impossible underwater. A huge, icy presence was approaching. I sensed a wave of fear roll through the armies below us. I must assume my godly form, Poseidon said. Go. Go now. And good luck, my son. I wanted to encourage him. To hug him or something, but I knew better than to stick around. When a god assumes his true form, the power is so great that any mortal looking at him will disintegrate. Goodbye, father, I managed. Then I turned away. I willed the ocean currents to aid me. The water swirled around me and I shot toward the surface at speeds that would have caused any normal human to pop like a balloon. When I looked back, all I could see were flashes of green and blue as my father fought the Titan, and the sea itself was torn apart by the two armies. And that is the end for today. Believe it or not. It feels a little strange to be wrapping it up so early. Um, and yet, here we are. Everyone, let's have a bit of a discussion about this. Roland says, craziest two chapters ever. Yeah, lots going on. Jade says, wow. Okay, so, what's going on here? Basically, the Ocean Titan, this was sort of like, who was he was the head honcho in the Ocean... Before the gods took over, um, Oceanus apparently did not fight alongside the Titans in the first God-slash-Titan war. The first time around, he must have either fought um, with the gods or, I think probably more likely, just sort of stayed out of it. This time, he's decided to fight, and it's not on the side of the gods. He's decided to fight alongside the Titans, uh, which means that... If we are to believe Poseidon, and I think we can probably fairly do so, um, Poseidon has sort of expressed that I guess maybe Oceanus is kind of a calculating individual because Poseidon says that he wouldn't he wouldn't fight unless he was sure he could pick the winning side, and he's decided on the Titans, not the gods. So this kind of indicates that uh, apparently there is uh, either. Someone has been very convincing, which we know Kronos can be, right? This is not uh, this would not be news to us about Kronos to know that he is, uh, you know, kind of a, a pretty masterful manipulator. We know that he can get into people's heads about things, and uh, you know, try to influence them through dreams. This is what he does. This is his whole steed is to is to quietly manipulate. So what does Oceanus know that the gods don't? That's our big question. We're going to have to find that out sometime soon. So, everyone, uh, what do we want to talk about here? Well, you know, we've got some time to chat. I want to, I want to chat about the book before we launch in and do our bad beans for the evening. But um, what is it that is... Who who is surprised by what's going on? What 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 things are y'all finding surprising? What things are you finding confusing? Uh, what things might you want to discuss at greater length? What things were you expecting but they've they've come out in a different way than you thought they would? I want to hear what y'all want to talk about because y'all know me. I can just riff on this. Uh, I would love to talk more about uh, you know Percy's fatal flaw here. Of course, at any moment uh, he is he's there to he's he's very sort of. Um, Present in the moment, you know what I mean. Percy tends to um, really not be so concerned, precisely with um, like what's going on at anywhere else at any given time. He seems to be very, very invested in what's right in front of him. This is pretty consistent um, throughout uh, basically all of Percy's activities. He sort of um, he he's very loyal uh, even to the people that he's not with, but. Whatever the current fight is, whatever's right in front of him, he is, um, I don't know, I guess I would say he stays very present, right? Because he's got other people that probably do need him very badly uh, up on the surface. And at the same time, hey, he's right here. So the, the first thing that's on his mind is, uh, okay, I'm staying right here. I'm going to fight with you. When, when Beckendorf shows up, there's no like, okay, we got to like plan this out a little bit more, like give me some time just to hang out with Rachel. No, it is... Or straight to the action. Whatever's right in front of him, that is what he seems to be most attentive to. Rollet says, "I'm hoping we'll find out what Nico's plan is next time." As am I. We've had this cryptic plan from Nico for quite a for I mean a few chapters at this point, um, but certainly since the last book ended, we've been wondering what is the deal with this this special plan that Nico has. Percy says that he's been avoiding it, so I think we can we can pretty reasonably surmise that whatever this plan is, it's either super dangerous or it takes a lot of risk uh, from people that Percy cares about pretty dearly. For whatever reason, Percy thinks that this plan is kind of a last resort. It's definitely not his first plan here. It's it's not option A for Percy. Rowlett says, I think it was bad timing. The big three stopped having half-bloods. They could have had a much bigger army to help them fight. They could have, and that's interesting, and it kind of makes me wonder if that's why this is perhaps the proper time, or or, or this is why um, the the timing of uh, Kronos is so important. Kronos being the god of time, or the, the titan of time, after all. The titan of time sounds like a very goofy sort of a title for a swing band leader in the 40s, Um the uh that's what I'm going to call myself when I lead my sw- when I lead my swing band uh as the drummer tss, 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 tss. there he is sammy chaplin the titan of time um uh it's possible that this was very intentional on his part right maybe it's no accident that he sort of waited until the gods had had some time to uh eh, to to sort of agree okay we're not going to sire any more children what is the what is the feminine version of sire anyway That's a little bit too husbandry for me anyway um uh we're not gonna have any more children any more godly children uh us big three And so Kronos maybe is thinking, okay, now is my time to attack. Orly Rose says, "Ugh, they definitely pulled out all the stops and the stakes for the last novel. They went in hot. A little bit, yeah. Um, I do wish, you know, it's part of the, I I really like longer things, um, longer series. And one thing that is kind of impressing me with um, uh, a lot of the new media that I've been listening to is that it is really hard to make something both impactful and snappy. Um, I, th- I think a lot of folks, when they when they're getting into something and they're bored, or when they 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 don't care about some of the big things that are happening. For instance, um, my my favorite example is um, uh, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Two. They fight a planet, and it's hard to care about it. Uh, Not the same as when we've got, you know, like, uh, for instance, like Winter Soldier. And I'm using sort of, you know, poppier options. I know I'm doing this. I'm doing it intentionally. Um, But uh, Winter Soldier, most of it is sort of concerned with the, 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 really, the the fate of one person. Uh, And I, at least, found it much, much easier to care about that. Um, than I did about the, you know, the, this, this big planet fight in guardians of the galaxy two. I can use a lot of other examples if y'all wish, but at the end of the day, um, taking the time to set these things up, a lot of people don't realize like when you really deeply care about something, it's because of some of the things that you might've found boring before. Um, that that might have been a little bit harder to to sort of navigate your way through when when people are reading something and they they get to the the culmination they realize like well okay I mean it's it's big and flashy but I don't really care that groundwork needs to be done before then and um, I find more and more about the media that I'm I'm reading and listening to etc um, I I I kind of keep an eye out for those moments when I'm like okay this is kind of like slow paced character stuff it feels a little bit I don't know it feels a little bit weaker it's a little less snappy than the rest of it. I've learned to be much more patient with that because that is absolutely the stuff that is going to make um you know the the fate of one person mean much more to me than the end of the world or not the end of the world. We're going to save it or we're going to fail either way. You know, it's it's too big cuz we can't care about something like the world. We we not not in a not in a visceral sense like that. Uh we have to form relationships. And so um, forming relationships with fictional characters—the way that that works—is is over time. I have, I have long been sort of developing out this theory of mine, and this is—I I am not, I'm not like Jordan Peterson where I'm going to make up some stuff and then sort of land on this and say, no, this is 100% fact now. But I have been sort of like, the more that I watch relationships, the more that I consider them sort of, uh, at their heart, just a series of impressions. And I think you can have that not just for people, real people, but also for characters in books, for objects, frankly. Um, so your relationship with this thing is just a series of impressions, and if those impressions are, are meaningful and positive, and you have a lot of them, you will have a deep, positive relationship. If you have a lot of these, uh, you know, impressions, and uh, you have a lot of them, but they are very negative, then your relationship is very negative, right? Um, and so just a series of impressions, and I think the if we go into something uh, where we are expected to care about a character and what happens to them, um, it's important that we've developed a relationship, and what that means is we have to have had quite a few impressions of that individual, right? That is my, that's my take on it. So, um, I think, uh, I think as, as the world speeds up a little bit here, don't forget to kind of take a moment, take a moment with the, with the things that you're reading, with the things that you're listening to, give them a chance, be patient with them through those moments that seem a little quieter, that, that don't quite like grab your attention. They sort of offer, offer a place for your attention to rest and you have to kind of choose to keep it there. Don't sleep on that. I guess would be the modern parlance, but really, don't don't ignore those moments and 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 uh, remember that if you want something to mean something to you, uh, you can't just rely on the, the the quick snappy moments. All this to say, I wish I knew Beckendorf better. I wish that I wish we had had more impressions with Beckendorf. I wish that um, you know, as as we. As we have to say goodbye to Beckendorf, I know we have this little moment where we we see that he and Selena Beauregard have apparently uh, begun some sort of relationship. Um, I don't know much about Beckendorf. I don't know what he wants in life. I don't know what, what his struggles have been. I don't know what it means to him to die here. I don't know why he would choose this. I can I can guess at some things. It's not it's not super wild or unreasonable that he would have chosen this, but I don't know why. Or it says I've got a random question. What happens when uh, Amphitrite uh, or Triton has a kid with a mortal? Where would they sleep at the camp, or maybe the mortal comes out with not really any half blood scent? Um, that's a good question. I know the minor gods have had them, but I think they would probably end up at the Hermes cabin right cuz Hermes kind of takes in all the all the randos, all the unclaimed ones and and what have you but yeah, that's a good question Rowlett. and also I'm I am wondering if they are like the children of gods because I think half-blood I don't know. I, mean, I was going to say it's pretty much just half-blood humans but of course we've got we've got Tyson there as well. Um but I do think like uh, I, I think it's the same sort of thing as, um, remember Ethan Nakamura, his godly parent was Nemesis, the goddess, goddess, I believe, of revenge. Um, we'll, we'll go gender neutral like we have been with the realm of Resetus. Uh, God, God is gender neutral now. Uh, surprise, God means anything. Gender neutral, we're taking it over. Um, uh, the God of revenge, Nemesis. And, uh, so that's another minor God, I think, um... He probably would end up uh, with the Hermes cabin, but it does seem like it does seem like there should be sort of a—I don't know—at at the very least, like um, a a different cabin for the for the randos, right? Um, although that is a little bit—I don't know—that that would be kind of isolating too, wouldn't it? Because you never know, like you are probably one, the, like the only one there who is related in any way. Uh, to your god, and so it's just you and, you know, D- Demeter and, and, um, like a, a child of Demeter and a child of Nemesis and a child of, you know, what have you. Roland says, I feel like the Hermes cabin should be uh, just a mansion. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Something to think about, though. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, I, um, Hermes, of course, is like the one who takes in everybody. That's his, that's part of his whole steeze. Um, but at the same time, like I think for like for the sake of the kids, for the sake of the camp, do it for the kids. Come on. They need another mini camp within the camp where they can have their own individual competitions. They can play like two-on-two, capture the flag and stuff. <laughs> okay. Folks, um, I think we've got this book kicked off to a nice little start, and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, it's also very exciting to be finishing up another series, as we are going to be doing here. Like I said, we are now... We only are seven, seven streams away from being done with this one. Uh, so about two months. Um, of course, we're going to have some some breaks for, for holidays and such, but we're going to probably finish this one mid-January, uh, mid to late January. So uh, that means I need to be planning for our next series. Can y'all believe that, by the way? Can y'all believe that? Um, at this point, we have read so much. Uh, we've read obviously all seven books seven books of Harry Potter five books of Percy Jackson uh, murder on the Orient Express Frankenstein the Great Gatsby The Hobbit uh, I'm missing one a Christmas Carol is that the only one I'm missing I think so uh, and then of course we have told our own stories we told a year-long story uh, in the realm of recedus about a trio of adventurers trying to make it in the in the uh, the fighting world and then uh, you know, Managing to overcome some of the <laughs> uh, some of the biggest bads in the kingdom in the well it's not a kingdom uh, in in the magical metropolis of Residus Towers uh, and I really am looking forward to more adventures being told there because uh, we've done a lot of development y'all after finding this this incarnate tool like it's just very exciting to make maps now because we just made a very cool map for uh, one of our first frontier towns our first big frontier town the town of Reliance. Uh, so if you want to go check that out, uh, check out the, um, uh, the realm of Recedus channel in discord. Um, and there you can check out the, the threads from that one, because that's where we keep the maps. I've got a, I've got a, a maps thread. I've got one for the different factions that we talk about. It's been, it's been an interesting four years doing this. We've told a lot of stories. We've read a lot of stuff. And, um, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to, we're, we're running up on four years at this point uh in just a few months it'll be 4 years uh round about, almost exactly at the time when we we finish this book here um it'll be it'll be 4 years almost exactly then